0: radio i'm matt weston tonight i'm joined by the biggest the fattest the drunkest one of them all our good pal bfd how are you doing tonight man
1: so so here's the deal about tonight is is about six o'clock and you know i've been ta- i've talked about on the show how much i've been working so about six o'clock i'm like screw it i'm popping my first beer i'm gonna relax tonight you know the kids are the kids are kind of having an right way to put it like a date night the kids like get together every tuesday night and do a thing together and so i don't have to be a parent my wife's at a class and so i'm like and then at like 605 i get like 10 emails work emails i was like okay bite me so i got no night off so mm. i have a beer see matt in my jj watt koozie
0: what's the beer tonight And i
1: have a beer the beer tonight is i don't know something strong it's like a seven and a half percent
0: <laughs> Sounds good.
1: Yeah, it's great, and uh and, and there we go. So that's my evening. So thanks for joining us, everybody. Yeah, you're big J- hugs.
0: You're JJ Watt koozie brought to you by Saturday Saturday Night Live. So that's the big news from this weekend that JJ Watt's going to host Saturday Night Live in February. Uh, is your DVR already set to record for that night?
1: Yeah, and for the record, uh Samantha Weaver gave me this koozie.
0: That's good. That's
1: so. good. Yeah, too sweet. I love her. Yeah, I was joking.
0: Anyway. I was joking around that Van Clowney had a rush against left tackles for J.J. Watt today <laughs> on Saturday Night Live because that's how he was able to get all the sack numbers he needed in the past two seasons. Um, yeah. I think. I think Saturday. I haven't watched Saturday Night Live since I was like, you know, seventeen or so. Every single time I see glimpses of it, I'm just embarrassed by it. Like, no, this is funny. This is all bad. And it's kind of like I went back. I watched an episode of The Office on accident around Christmas time because they play like the Christmas marathon. And it made it was disgusting. I hated it so much. Like season nine of The Office, and also I think oh, Jim, yeah, yeah. Jim is like the most tragic character I've ever seen in my entire life. Like he's just so unbelievably pitiful, and I hate him. And uh, and The Office is terrible <laughs> too. Like so you can, seasons one through two, I can are good, but I after that's bad. And uh, it was just embarrassing. I couldn't get over how much I hated it. And so I feel like that every time I watch like 15 minutes of Saturday night live now too, but good for JJ. I hope he has a fun time on there.
1: Yep. I'm with you on that all the way. You know,
0: he should be rehabbing instead of being hanging, instead of hanging out in New York, you know, he has football games to play.
1: (laughs) The only person I would say that about like most anybody I would kind kind of like laughingly agree, but if you're Baker Mayfield, do you make like 800 commercials next off season? Do you really do that again
0: oh, after that, the season? That was yeah. the worst, and especially the conference championship games. It just kept him, kept showing him turn the lights <laughs> off over and over and over again. It's like we uh-huh. don't need to see him at all anymore. We're done with this. No, um, but yeah, I mean JJ's supposed to make fifteen point five million dollars this year, the the highest salary on the team for the two thousand twenty season. He shouldn't be hosting SNL. He should be out there rehabbing, getting better for his age thirty two season, and he should not be doing what he's doing. I'm very upset about it.
1: 32 years old. Can you believe J.J. Watt's 32 years old?
0: Yeah, he's been here forever. Wow. Yeah, yeah but he shouldn't be doing that. Uh, so the Texans tried to sneak around last weekend, make some <sighs> sneaky coaching changes and front office changes, and we'll talk about the Texans news, and then we'll briefly review the conference championship rounds and see if any other listener questions come through uh, via AlMail. I have the chimney open. So, hopefully, one comes flying through and we have some more questions for the show specifically tonight. So, the first thing they did was they fired outside linebacker coach John Pagano on Saturday. And I saw the news because my brain is warped. I was like, okay, make sure you remember that. So, then we post that on Monday, or on Tuesday or Monday or whatever. Uh, that's an important thing to type out there. And so, the Texans' li- outside linebackers are bad last year. You know, Merciless had a bad season once Watt went down. And also, whenever readers start rushing the passer because his pass rush angle is a very long. Um, but he still wasn't good, and also, like, a lot of his, all of his pass rushes, too, were just, like, outside shoulder hand fighting, not a lot of bull rushing, not a lot of inside moves. You know, Brent Scarlett's just, like, a, a watered-down version uh, or a just-a-guy version, Merciless, where, you know, same sort of thing, a lot of outside moves, you know, can do a little bit of everything, not great at anything, and, you know, both of them were bad this year, though, too, so do you have any big feelings at all or big thoughts on the Texans firing John Pagano?
1: No. I I mean, first of all, as soon as Pagano was fired, wasn't that the beginning of the scapegoating? Like, that was just kind of, okay, this is what's going to happen this offseason. Now Rack's gone. It was kind of like that's the first domino to fall because I I don't know – again, I don't know what you expect that defense to do when you subtract the talent like they had during the offseason. Sure, they picked up Tayshawn Gibson, who I – I thought it was going to be kind of a straight-up trade for Ty- Tyron Matthew, but Matthew was great. Uh, he was pretty darn good for the Chiefs. I wouldn't say he was great. Maybe a top 12, 15 safety. Justin Reed's better. But, you know, that we lost him. We lost Kareem Jackson. And uh, we lost Andre Howell, who retired. And we traded Clowney for a box of crayons. And we replaced him with guys who, like, Bradley Roby was fine, but then we, you know sending a third-round pick for Gary and Conley and picking up Vernon Hargraves off, you know, the 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 net loss defensively was pretty tremendous between 2018 and 2019. Mm-hmm. And there's no other way to look at it. And so you look at the outside linebacker position and you say, oh, we addressed it by doing what? So we still kept, you know, 144.6 PFF rating. Brennan Scarlett, who is just, he's a poor man's Dylan Cole. Dylan Cole got hurt. So we we have Merciless, we have no Clowney, we have Jacob Martin, Barquevius Mingo. There's just no talent. What do you expect people to do when there's no talent at these positions? Are we going to fire the secondary coach next because we gave him Vernon Hargraves and Gary Ann Conley and, and a bunch of scrubs?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what Pagano did or didn't do. I know a lot of people were excited whenever he came to Houston last year because it's always good whenever a guy who's a defensive coordinator, head coach, Takes a position coach role, it seems like, because they have more of experience, they've had the big job or whatever. I know it's like how every year everybody wants Mike Munchak to be their offensive line coach because he's known for that. He's been a head coach, he's had experience and that sort of thing too. But I can't really speak to anything specifically that he's done. I just know the Texans outside linebackers were bad last year. I think it's more indicative of the talent and the lack of interior pass rush than anything Pagan could have done or or not have done. Uh, that being said, I think Wendy Merciless would have been better off using more inside moves instead of just like outside shoulder, just trying to rip and then running 15 yards behind the quarterback, you know. But the it does seem kind of scapegoating in way, though, too. So the second thing that happened was that during the halftime show of the NFC Championship game, the Texans tried to sneak through and reportedly fire Vice President of Football Administration Chris Olsen, the Texans didn't make like an official announcement. They still haven't, to my knowledge, but it came in through Ian Rappaport and you know the other uh, the other NFL network uh you know, reporters or whatever. I was trying to think of something clever to say nothing came out. This <laughs> slow brain of mine. And this so is the NFL network reporters, you know, reported that this happened. And they did it during the halftime of a game that was twenty zero. It's like everybody was checking their phones, somebody was really that excited for the game at all anymore and they thought they could stick it through there but they were unable to now what chris olsen did for the team though he was one the heads of the snake of this texans flat organization the hydra and he was primarily responsible for negotiating contracts and navigating the, te- the treacherous waters of the salary cap can you think of a reason why at all that olsen was fired aside from you know maybe this is more of a power player opening the door for other moves are there any football reasons that you can come up with why Olson may have been let go from the Houston Texans?
1: No, and this one to me is the one that's is easily the most disturbing move that was made because you know Olsen has done a great job with the salary cap since he's been a, on the in the Texans front office. He's done a great job with that. He's done a great job with the negotiations on the contracts, all the things that he's been asked to do, he has been excellent at. Like I've got nothing bad to say about him. And when you see what's been said about him by the front office people and by other people, it's been nothing but compliments. And so one thing that kind of put that a bug in my ear, though, was that Whitney Merciless contract. Like, who actually offered Whitney Merciless that much money during the year just to extend a 30-year-old guy who isn't very good? I mean, he was one of the worst outside linebackers by PFF, I know, our favorite stat company. But he's not good, right? He was six I would say six he's,
0: this year. he's fine. I would say merciless is fine. Yeah, of course there's better. Like yeah, there's always better than fine. I wouldn't say he's not very good though. Merciless is fine. But yeah, he's not. So, he's not. I think even on the open market, he probably would have got somewhere around twelve million or whatever. I just think it's a bad signing for the Texans and where they're at right now. And it's better to just use that money to pay a premium for him. Um, but yeah, I'll uh, I'll stop interrupt interrupting you now.
1: Right. Instead of the 25 million, we guaranteed them or whatever it was. Right. Mm. So, you know, I think, you know, I don't know if there was like some, some budding heads that went on there. I cannot imagine that Olson was like, Oh yeah, that's great. Let's do this. I just can't imagine that. I, that's not who he's proven to be. He's not a guy who's, who's really gone out of his way to help the team retain guys who are 30 plus years old and sign them to huge guaranteed money. So that went to me is really disturbing that for me was the ultimate power play by Bill O'Brien, Big Matt?
0: Well, and that happened, and it happened during the season, which the Texans typically don't do. And like I said, like, I mean, I'm gonna write about why the merciless sign was bad because it's better to use 18 million dollars a year and sign Bud Dupree than it is to sign merciless for 14 million dollars because you're not gonna get a guy who can create pass rush on his own by sign merciless. You know, sure, the rare occasions gonna happen where he'll, you know, break through and have a sack or whatever, or vulture sack another way, another one but he's not going to create consistent pressure on his own throughout the season. And that move, like you mentioned, came at the end of the season. It came kind of out of nowhere. It seemed kind of a strange decision to make. It also came with the player that Bill O'Brien always loves to say. He's a hard worker. He's a great guy. We love him here. He's the perfect Houston Texan. Like he's he's in Bill O'Brien. Like He he sits on Bill O'Brien's lap while he's watching television. He's not in the doghouse at all whatsoever. And it was that signing, also the Brian anger signing too. And the Brian anger signing was weird because – what I read was that the league rejected it at first, that it wasn't the contract wasn't written out correctly, and they had to resubmit it to the league office for it to go through. So it seemed like maybe Olson wasn't involved in those two contracts not whatsoever and uh, he was kinda of left out because you would think the guy's a cap expert, you know, the guy's been negotiating contracts for the Texans for, you know, nine years or eight years or whatever now, would be able to make sure this contract goes through and uh, and everything goes smoothly, you know. And so those two things are really kind of and, you know the, the, the,
1: it was the first NFL contract they got that was written in crayon.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, anger, more money, more years, good. But <laughs> yeah, I mean those th- those two things are strange. I know even Rivers hypothesized that you know Bill O'Brien really wanted Matthew last year to come back, and Matthew you know got fourteen million a year with Kansas City, and. You know, also, maybe so, like, he's we can't play safety that much because we have this coming up, which I think was the right move for the Texans because paying Matthew $12 million a year to stand there as a deep middle safety is a terrible waste of money. And Gibson's a better use for that money, used in that role. I think Matthew's been really great how they've used him in Kansas City, more you're using to his skills than Cornell did. And I think Reed being able to play a similar position makes his like skill set not worth the money that he wanted. So I think that was maybe something else you could point to, too. But it does seem like Houston's been in a good salary cap, like been in like a good spot salary cap wise for the past few seasons now. But now entering 2020, it's getting weird for them. So they have to make some really important decisions really quickly. JJ Watt's due 15.5 million this year. That's the biggest contract the Texans have on the books. You'd assume that they're going to do something like, you know, negotiate an extension, be able to turn some of that contract into a signing bonus. Uh, make his cap hit you know seven million dollars a year or so because you really can't with the way this roster set up pay a guy that much money for him to play seven games in a season no matter how great he is when he's actually on the field Deshaun Watson's rookie contract ends after the season he does have a fifth year option of course the Texans could franchise tackle him but teams don't do that with their great young rookie or their great young quarterbacks Will Fuller's fifth year options this year. They have to figure out how they want to handle Vernon Hargreaves because he's due ten million dollars. You're not going to pay Hargreaves ten million. You're going to, have to, if you're going to keep him around, you're going to, have to turn that to an extension and sign him for you know, three or four million or whatever. Or so too, DJ is about to have free agency. Lamri is a contract extension coming up. Zach Cunningham's rookie contract is coming to an end too. About the same time as just, or at the same, or around the same time that Justin Reed's is as well. DeAndre Hopkins is going to be ready for a new deal in two seasons. And this is all happening while well, they don't have a first-round pick this year, they don't have a first-round pick next year, they don't have a second-round pick next year, and they're also missing third-round picks that they traded for Conley for Duke Johnson, too. So what? this is a, a bad spot. Not necessarily a bad spot. It's a good spot to be in where you have a lot of talented players that you're having to decide what to do with. It's a bad spot for it all to be happening at once. And so it's even more bizarre considering the decision they made with the timing of it and also with what they're up against here In the immediate future, so what do you think is going to happen from here? Do you think Bill Bryan's going to take on this role himself and just put another hat on, and then also start popping the popcorn and everything else, or is this just a a move to be able to open up the door more for a general manager to come in and potentially go back after Nick Casario here in you know three weeks or whatever?
1: Well, so my understanding is we can't even touch Casario until like May,
0: yeah, something like that.
1: So it's not like three weeks. I mean, we can't touch him until after the draft. And so who's going to be scouting guys? I mean, is Bill O'Brien going to be scouting, you know, linebackers at Bumfuck State University? You, you know, this is really
0: He's in the senior bowl disturbing... with, with a fake beard on.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, this is a really disturbing turn of events that he, that there's one really, truly competent guy in the front office and now he's gone. And now the rest of it is, is basically Bill O'Brien and cronies. So I, I, I don't know, but, there, there's nothing about this move that tells me that it's going to work out because of you, – you've lost this, – that's a serious brain drain from your team to lose Olsen. I, I don't get it. None of this looks good. None of this smells good. And not all of this looks like Bill O'Brien is just going to, hey, look, if I keep removing people who are going to tattle on me, then – like that's the best thing off for me. This reminds me of like there's a certain guy who runs a certain company here in Austin, and what he does is for every person, and I used to work for this company. Every person who speaks up against him somehow gets walked out the door, mm-hmm. and the dude is completely incompetent, and everybody hates working for him. But if you say anything bad about it, and he hears about it, you're gone. And so it's the same thing that this that this guy's doing. And this company is now it's it's, it's gone from being very profitable to not being so well off and it just reminds me of the same thing it's like you're the king you get rid of people who don't kowtow to you and you become very very hated and i just and you're incompetent and that's bill o'brien
0: anyway
1: that was a little bit rambly sorry
0: no no i mean i think it's a it's a good point it's a valid point too and i don't know what they're i assume that they're going to try try to go back after casario again considering this move and no matter what o'brien says whenever he talks to the press None of it really means anything at all. You know, he spent all last summer talking about how he wants, he wants to make sure that Clowney's there, that they're working on a decision, that, you know, he's going to come in. I'm not worried about it at all. And then they trade him, you know, right before the season starts. And then he also said right after the Kansas City game that he expects Romeo Cornell to be here. He's not going to go anywhere. And now Cornell no longer the defensive coordinator in Houston. And so even though he said, yeah, the Texans aren't going to sign General Manager, he's lied, you know, in so many different post game press conferences. Not necessarily, I guess, you know, who knows how much coaches are speak truthfully. I only see the clips that get posted, and I'm not watching other coaches' press conferences at all, so I can't speak for Mullen in general. But, you know, who knows? Like, I mean, like, it's misleading. It's not the truth. He doesn't go out there and say exactly what's happening whenever he has the opportunities to. So my guess is that this was a move done so they can pursue a general manager, whether it's Casario in May or, you know, whatever it is that they do, which is also bad because, of course, free agency happens March 16th, and uh, and it's important to have these guys in place, you know, months ahead of time, so you can plan out what you're going to do in free agency instead of scramble together and put everything together now. Um, but also, I could see O'Brien too, just handling all the contract extensions, figuring that out, hiring you know somebody at the NBA to figure out the contract language and a lawyer, and then he sets the mark and does everything else from there. I have no idea. And you know, my personal opinion on Brian, this whole situation is that he's not going anywhere. There's nobody there to fire him. There's nobody there to you know talk to Cal and be like, yeah, this is bad. This isn't going well. He's done this, this, and this. He has full control and everything. And so I really don't even care at all anymore about the coaching thing. It's just kind of like you wait and he's going to be gone because the team is going to fall apart next year because of how lucky and fortunate they were. Or it's something miraculous is going to happen or the same things can keep happening over and over again. And uh, who knows what it's going to be. But I mean, just considering how he's been able to like wrangle all the power from everybody else has been completely absurd, and he's not going anywhere, and this is just like, we're kind of stuck with what it, with what it is, unless Houston goes like 6-10 and 10 next year, or 7-9, and who even knows what, uh, what would happen after that, too.
1: Now, it's like we're living in the the dumb and dumber version of Groundhog's Day.
0: Yeah, that's good. I mean, it's definitely like a monarchy. There's no term limits, and... You know, this one, when, when the kings had dumb son, and we're stuck with the son until, uh, until he disappears or, you know, the huns come over and take over everything. But this is how it is for now. And, like, I really don't waste any energy anymore about wanting Bill O'Brien gone or anything because he's not going anywhere. And, uh, and I think he should have been fired after last year's postseason loss. And, like, this year we're just kind of sitting around waiting for the past even to exploit and the offense. I mean, the, the playoff offense was terrible this year, too. And that's one of the things I've been thinking about lately a lot. Where they have a lot, they have two touchdowns against the Bills, and they're all because of Big Watson plays. The big zone replay, the scramble on nowhere dump off, and that's how that's how they end up winning the, that game was two big Watson plays and against Kansas City. They had the special teams turnovers, the fake screen throw touchdown where that play's been set up eight years in advance, and they had one and a half good drives that game, and that's it. And the team lost in postseason because their offense wasn't able to make up for their pass defense, which was bad all season, something that should have been expected. Um, so the Texans did fire, or not necessarily fire, but they let go of Romeo Cornell too. Anthony Weaver is going to take his place as the defensive coordinator. Is this an age thing with Cornell, or is this a scapegoat thing for this loss? And do you think Weaver is going to be able to do a good job in Houston? What do you think of this whole situation?
1: I, I think it's a scapegoat thing. Once again, I, I don't know what. When you look at the talent on the roster, what is what is going to happen really necessarily differently? I mean, one of the things that Romeo Cornell has done very well at is keeping the team close in games. So most of the time, he plays a lot of bend, don't break tight defense. He gambles on the right situations. He's gonna, gonna lead guys out on an island if he doesn't have to. He's gonna always give his especially his slower guys, he's gonna give him a lot of help over the top. I think that Cornell did a great job. And and I cannot wait until we get into the Cornell stats. And I I love that you put it together because he was really freaking great in Houston and he had good talent. The Jonathan Joseph signing is one one of the best free agent signings in the last 10 years, like period, not just for the Texans, but Mm -hmm. just straight period. It was a fantastic free agent signing. And the same thing with Daniel Manning that year. I mean, we, you know, Rick Smith, man, he went off that season.
0: Well, was coming off starts- having the worst pass defense of all time, right. according to DVOA. <laughs> and then his a of a year, they go from 32nd to 7th in pass defense. So they draft Watt, they had Joseph and Manning, they bring in Wade, and then some of their younger pass rushers develop really quickly, too.
1: Yeah, that was the battle red carpet defense. <laughs> um, as we nicknamed it back in the day. So, But Cornell's been great, and so he, he's been able to do a lot of things. And, and of course we had J.J. Watt, and then we had we've had a lot of talent that was on the defensive side of the ball. But here's the thing is that, you know, Bill O'Brien since he came into the league, has the Houston Texans coach, his his offensive DVOAs have been anywhere from like twenty second at its peak until this year to twenty ninth when he was stuck with Tom Savage. And and remember, let's go back and remember that Bill O'Brien really thought Tom Savage was the guy to start over Deshaun Watson.
0: And he was the quarterback. game. He won the fourteen draft with Bridgewater, Garoppolo, Carr—I mean, Bortles really doesn't count because they were never going to take a quarterback that high. Um, and then I think there was one other guy, but there was four starring quarterbacks in that draft, and the Texans picked none of them. You know, Manziel was in that draft as well too. And uh, but yeah, I mean, there was four starring quarterbacks, and he came out with Tom Savage. And this, these starting quarterbacks also all came after the first round of the draft too.
1: Yeah. So. Um, and you and what, know. And
0: what was Bridgewater's record this year? I forgot.
1: I don't know. Was he perfect? He, he was, was perfect. Five, wasn't he? he was five and oh. He was five and oh. So, you know, when let's go back to the simple fact that that Bill O'Brien has really lived upon the success of Romeo Cornell. So the fear fact that he fired him after this season, after stripping away his his defense, after and you know, if that was Gain or if that was and well, what was both Gain and Bill O'Brien, he stripped away the talent on the defense and expected Romeo Cornell to succeed. And Cornell I think did a dad gum good job all season long.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah I I mean I think this is kind of scape. I don't know if it's an age thing or if it's a scapegoat thing I'm leaning towards being a scapegoat thing I mean Cornell is like 72 years old but it doesn't it doesn't seem like he didn't want to coach at all and I know everybody wanted him fire to the Kansas City game every single person that said that I asked him well what would you do differently and their answer is always like I would play they need to play less off man coverage I'm like okay so you're gonna put Lonnie Johnson on Travis Kelsey and press with the line of scrimmage. And, I mean, Johnson would have been burned spectacularly for, like, an 85-yard touchdown that Chiefs game if he didn't hold on to him, you know? And there was no matchups at all that you could really play press man unless you're going to put Bradley Roby against, you know, uh, against Robinson in Kansas City. And even then, like, you're going you're gonna to take him off Tyreek Hill so you could press this guy because that's your only plus matchup. There just wasn't anything available. He also blitzed a lot that game too, especially on the interior. The Chiefs picked it up. Well, their interior pass blocking has been tremendous uh this postseason too and i think throughout the entire year i think cornell has done a fine job considering he went from no Jadavian clowny jj watt being injured um you know dj reader not being on rest of passer not investing enough in the secondary i think one of the big mistakes they made last offseason was not not adding you know one or two more cornerbacks and just signing robin being okay with it they should have gone after you know steven nelson or you know, wide variety of guys who are available for you know, cheap contracts, even just for one year. Just throw more problem, throw more solutions out there, and so they they stuck with Aaron Colvin. He was released after the first week, of course, too. Um, but and whenever it comes to Weaver itself, like I have no idea if he's gonna be good or not. I know Seth Payne posts on Twitter that you know Weaver was a teammate of his. He thinks he's gonna do a good job at it, but I have no idea at all. He's never. To my knowledge, he's never a game plan for a defense at the professional level or for an offense professional level. He's never called plays at the professional level. There's, of course, going to be growing pains with it. And also, I want to point out, too, the last time, the only time since Bill O'Brien's been the head coach, that Romeo Cornell was not the defensive coordinator. That was in 2017. And this was <laughs> also, and also you have to remember, too, that your Cornell has dealt with the loss of J.J. Watt multiple times. In 2016, they had the best pass defense they've ever had. Uh, or they had during the Bill O'Brien era, and they had a DVOA of negative 5.8%, which was ninth. They allowed 20 half points a game, which was 11. The following year, you know, Cornell goes up in the press box, Rayleigh comes to D.C. They're last in points allowed per game. They're 23rd in defensive DVOA. The year after Cornell comes back, they're 4th in points allowed per game in 19.8, and they're 7th in DVOA, and that was because they had an all-time great run defense and why and clowning were healthy for the entire year. But Cornell is manic, And we played a bunch of terrible offenses. And a bunch of bad offenses. <laughs> but I mean DVOA just for the offenses portion of it. You know? Sure. Yeah, right. And uh but like they like he was able to navigate a similar situation that Cornel that Rabel couldn't at all. And it turns out like, you know, Rabel's not a defensive mastermind. He's a he's a good manager, you know, he's a baseball manager. You don't want to call him pitches, you know, leave that to the catcher. He can delegate and and uh and you know, lead you into the trenches and that sort of thing. But I, I guess it's very important to point out that like you mentioned O'Brien was carried by Cronell and the defense during this entire time has been able to, you know, uh, patch together some AFC style championships during his, you know, seven years as the Houston Texans head coach. And Cronell's done a great job. And if you don't think so, uh, I think you're very wrong about that. And I think he was, uh, he did a spectacular job while he was in Houston, too. It is a bummer that he's going to be gone. I have no idea how Weaver's going to do. But the whole thing just kind—I of, mean—it's just a bummer—is the best way to describe it, especially after the amount of talent he's lost on the defensive side of the ball the past two seasons, too, and this season especially.
1: Yeah, so so let's let's do this. So, drop some numbers on us, Matt. And I think the the looking at what you put together, I think just going by DVOA, I think is good enough. I mean, but drop some numbers on us.
0: So since 2014, these are the Texans' offensive DVOA numbers. It was negative six point eight percent, which is twenty first and fourteen with Ryan, Fitz, Ryan Fitzpatrick. It was negative eight point five percent, which is twenty fourth with with Brian Hoyer, of course, and then also the one and only Ryan Mallett in two thousand sixteen. It was thirtieth and negative twenty one point two percent. This was Alfred Blue for two point you know three point yards to carry. This was name redacted. This was Jeff Allen. 2017, it was negative 9.9%, which is 24th. And this, is, this includes, you know, six weeks of Watson, the rest of the time Tom Savage. 2018, with Watson healthy, it was negative 3.5%, which is 21st. And this year, in 2019, after investing so much in the offensive line, training for Kenny Stills, having Wolf Fuller healthy for, you know, 10 of the games or so, having DeAndre Hopkins for the entire year, having Watson in his third season, they finished with a positive offensive DVOA for the first time at 0.3%, which was 17th. So finally, after all these years of fumbling around, O'Brien kind of finally got his offense together. And at 0.3%, 17th is the best he's been able to come up with in his seven years as a head coach. And this is a guy who's supposed to be an offensive mastermind, a quarterback whisperer. Uh, this is his sixth year as a head coach. Yeah, his sixth year. I'm already. I'm late. I'm already thinking about 2020. I need to be focused on the present. But it's been bad. The offense <laughs> has been has ranged from mediocre to ba- ba- barely mediocre at its peak, which is this season, to bad to horrendous as well.
1: Yeah, and, and so let's look at the last, just the last couple of years. They moved from 21st to 17th, and they had we invested one, two, three, four, 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 five premium. No, five premium picks this year. This year, first, second, or third round picks into the offense, and uh, most of these we're not going to see in the future. And they moved all the way to 17th. Well, they bumped the problems
0: up. They not bumped, the they bumped up to say, yeah they bumped up to 17.
1: They bumped up. To, they, the the problem is not the talent. The talent's there. We've invested a ton of resources into the talent. It's Carlos Hyde up the middle, 15 times a game that kills us.
0: Yeah, and so uh, and the passing offense is, is just sick as well too. Like whenever I watch the passing offense, it's like why there's just so many wasted routes. There's so many isolation routes against man coverage. They run the same routes, all the same formations, the same plays, all the same formations, and uh, and like and then you go back and you watch like Tennessee use play action and average 10.2 yards a play, including that's including Marcus Mariota's numbers too. And you watch Kyle Shanahan create all these easy throws, and then you watch how Kansas City uses trips formations to create easy throws. And it, it really is just sickening to see, like, the talent Houston has isn't that dramatic a difference than what, you know, San Francisco has even. And then it's a lesser version of what Kansas City has, of course, but they're not even in the same, you know, neighborhood or the same quartile at all um, as each other.
1: No. And so, so going back, so the, the six years that Bill O'Brien's been head coach, we have averaged 23rd DVOA. I, I, that's... Right there, in black and white. I don't know how you can even argue that. We are a below-average offense as long as Bill O'Brien's calling plays. Yeah. So, and tell tell us about Romeo Cornell, it, if you're
0: it, ready. And it's Godsey, and it's Tim Kelly, and it's whoever. I mean, uh-huh. O'Brien called. They never said for sure he called the plays, but definitely looked like O'Brien was. He was too busy not knowing to go for him fourth and four because he was trying to find the perfect play. And was like, no, nah, I'll just punt instead. I can't think of a bootleg that has, you know, Darren fellas in the flat and then going up the sideline whenever they sit in cover two uh, to attack this defense or whatever. So I don't know. It sucks. It's bad. Um, but I'll miss you. I'll miss Romeo. Romeo was great here. A lot of things else here haven't been as great. And the Texans have been, you know, a winning team because of what their defense has done, not because of what their offense has done at all.
1: Yep. Yeah, so Romeo Cornell, I'll do it. Cornell starting 2014, six in DVOA eighth in DVOA ninth in 2016 Vrabel took over in 2017 went to 23rd 2018 7th and then this year after having all that talent taken away from a 26. so when Romeo Cornell was the defensive coordinator his average DVOA was 11.2 mm-hmm. including like literally in 2018 a historically great run defense um you know, Cornell has been holding up his end of the bargain. In fact, I think it's fair to say that he has really been holding up Bill O'Brien, uh, and giving him a chance to win week in, week out. So when we talk about why is Bill O'Brien, yes, he's over 500 as a head coach. Great. It's because Romeo Cornell keeps him in almost every freaking game.
0: Yeah. And the Jaguars are bad. Italians are bad. The Colts have been bad. Um, that's the bigger, bigger reason for it. You know, just beating up on the AFC in like five wins against the AFC South every year is the biggest thing for it. um. So the next question we had here, and also like congratulate, I know nobody, this doesn't mean thing at all, but I'm glad Anthony Weaver is getting a chance to be de- defensive coordinator. He's been, you know, in Houston for a while. All of the defensive line everybody's kind of worked with him have, you know, have, have nothing but good things to say about him. And this comes up from a listener question we have from at tax idea underscore Texas. And he asked, do you buy the sales pitch of Weaver having been influenced by Rex Ryan? Well, my favorite coordinators, Jim Leonard, who uh, who's the DC in Wisconsin, runs a very aggressive collegiate scheme of that lineage that I absolutely love. So are you assuming, are you hoping that Weaver's going to be a lot more aggressive, kind of like Houston at Rex Ryan, you know, blitz heavy, zone blitz defense, and maybe that's why they made the switch as well too, instead of kind of being more of a, a bend, don't break, you know, nickel defense that Houston had been running?
1: I don't know. So part of me wonders about that, especially going all the way back to the Saints game in that Aaron Colvin play that if that, you know, they want more aggressiveness from the from the team. Look, if you want more aggressiveness from a bunch of terrible cornerbacks, like that's a losing that's that's a losing game. I don't know what you think is going to happen. It's going to be good from that outcome. So I do think it's this goes back kind of to the scapegoating is we're just going to shuffle the deck chairs on the Titanic. We're going to go from this bend, don't break defense to the super aggressive defense. And a lot of people can still beat that defense. I mean, it's not like it's in college where all of a sudden, Oh my gosh, they're, they're doing things I've never seen before. These are pro athletes. They've seen things before. And if, if Rex Ryan and if the Ryan brothers are so good, why are they both out of the game?
0: Yeah. One also Rex to ruined the Buffalo Bills defense. And that was still the weirdest. Weird, one of the Oh, weirdest that was teams like your favorite defense. Yeah. yeah. and I, I mean, like it was just also so weird too, that the Bills had a top 10 offense with Greg Roman, Tyrod Taylor, and it was Rex Ryan ruining the defense by turning it from a four, three to a three, four, that completely, they would have been a super bowl contending type team. And Rex Ryan came in and switched it to a three, four and, like had Mario Williams play outside linebacker and dropped him back into coverage and ruined everything completely.
1: I, I remember that. So is uh, any word on what Weaver's going to run from the base? Is it going to be 3-4, three, 4-3? Four, four, three?
0: I would guess a 3-4, but uh, I don't know. And also kind of pencil what Bill O'Brien wants at the same time too. And the other thing I want to mention is that the Texans were, <laughs> this season, They were their blitz rate was 32.9%, which was... Eighth here, it was behind Pittsburgh, uh, right ahead of New Orleans. Again, that was at thirty two point nine percent. And they were kind of like similar to Pittsburgh and New England, Cleveland with how much they blitz. The Ravens and Buccaneers were, you know, first in the league, uh, first and second in the league, like far and away. And so like, this wasn't a passive defense when it comes to pass rush. Grinel blitzed a lot and he did everything he could try to do, but it's hard whenever your blitzing options are, you know, Barcavius Mingo. And whenever you're trying to create stunts with Angel Blackson, you know. So it's it was a tough spot that he was in, and um, and I think Houston was really fortunate they didn't give up 51, 51 points more often than they did this year, which is something we kind of talked about throughout this season. Where it's like, yeah, the Chargers are bad now, the Falcons are bad now, the Patriots' offense is mediocre now, and the pass defense that the passing offense schedule that was horrifying turned into you know Kyle Allen, and it turned into uh, you know Drew Locke, you know, and things like that. Even though Locke put up you know. 31 points. It's probably better than Flacco was anyways, but a lot of things changed that were kind of scary heading into the season as well.
1: Yeah, I I don't have anything. I think it's just well said.
0: So the the next question we had here was from at Eddie underscore Hassan. He asked, you can have a new head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, but the only rule is you can't steal a current head coach, the NFL. And then you make your GM decision after your head coach decision. Since they, you'll need to be aligned. So we've learned, from the Houston Texans through the Bill O'Brien era. So do you have a, a head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator? What would be your ideal um, Texans coaching setup, front office setup, and the only rule is that you can't take a current NFL head coach?
1: I, I mean, I it's, I get talked bad about it, but I would love to have Dave Oswini here. And I get why people don't want him, but like, the guy, he actually inspires his team to do well, and he knows the, the talent that he's got on the roster. And I know it's a little bit goofy, but I keep going back to that one because, you know what, he's got a track record of success, and a lot of that's because of his ability to recruit at the college level. I get it. But that also means the dude is good at talent evaluation and that he is going to put his players in a position to succeed. And so those are big deals to me, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the the guy I would like to see would be enemy from Kansas City. Like I understand why he's not head coach. He's the offensive coordinator of the best passing offense we've seen since what, like the 2016 Falcons. This is the best offense we've seen out there. Mm-hmm. And I mean like the Ravens passing offense is better than that on a per play basis, but so much of that was set up by the running running attack. So yeah, I would like to see, I think he would be spectacular, especially whenever you have the three wide receiver sets they can use, the trip sets they can use. And also, I think he could turn Cahill Waring into somebody very good instead of just, like, you know, lock him in the basement and not let him come out. And so, I mean, that's really the only one. The only thing I feel strongly about is I would really like to have that. Um, as far as, like, offense coordinator, defensive coordinator, and GM, I really don't have anything for that. But, like, being me, like, watching, the, watching how the Chiefs just create so many easy and open throws for an already transcendent quarterback has been one of the things that's been really fun to watch the last four weeks as, you know, I've kind of fallen in to watch a bunch of Chiefs video this postseason, especially with the Texans playing them last weekend. Or two weeks ago. Yeah, today. no, I'm
1: sorry, and I'm old enough to remember watching the enemy play at Boulder. Okay. Like live. Was he a quarterback yeah, there? Is, he was running back. Okay, cool. He doesn't Eric, look like I'll he doesn't look, look like enemy. a
0: running back anymore.
1: No, he look he, he he looks all like short and stumpy, doesn't he? But yeah, yeah. he was always kinda of, he was always a short dude.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean other than that though, I really can't we can leave Weaver as the defensive coordinator. Uh, it doesn't matter. Tim Kelly can be the offensive coordinator still. Who cares? But yeah, I would like to see BM yeah. here. And also, like, anything, like even like a separation of powers would be very vital for this team. And anything would be kind of better than what the current structure is as it's set up right now.
1: Yes, yes. Because right now we have somebody who's completely abusing his power.
0: Yeah, and I'll, the other thing I want to bring up about O'Brien too... I know like I mentioned earlier, like I'm so tired of thinking about him, but here we are. The you know, my brains are in the dog food bowl. But one of the things that's come up a lot too, it's you know, like what Watson It's like, I love that man, I'll play for that man, I'll do anything for that man, that sort of thing. And also all the players say like they like playing for O'Brien. Aaron Foster said that even after he tore his Achilles because O'Brien left him in in a meaningless game against Miami when they're down by, you know, thirty one points or whatever it was. Uh Clowney had nothing but good things to say about O'Brien even though like how things kind of fell apart too. And so I was thinking about it and it's like, I I think a lot of people like the coaches they play for just in general though, you know, like very rarely do you ever see anywhere in professional sports that a team just absolutely hates their coach or hates their manager, even if they aren't particularly good at what they're doing anyways, you know? And so it's very, very seldomly do you see like a Freddie kitchen situation in Cleveland? Usually the players are professional athletes and they're going to play hard Cause they're going to make $15 million and they're 24 years old or they're, they're making $15 million or they're 24 years old and want to make $15 million. And so they're going to play hard pretty much regardless. And so I don't really think that's a very good argument for, you know, pro Brian. It is weird though, just for like how, how different is, you know, if you're outside the locker room, you see things compared to, you know, whenever you're an athlete seeing things.
1: Yeah. And so let's just be very clear here. Like that, even Tom Cable, C- Cable, I can't even pronounce his name. I think it's Cable. He still gets. I think it's Cable. Yeah, he still gets compliments today from people who used to play for him. And look, in my lifetime, he's easily the worst position coach I've ever seen. Like, like wherever he goes, everything falls apart. Like he's the equivalent of a gallon of gasoline and then lighting his own his own match. And people still talk about what a great coach he is. Yeah. So to me, it, it's like these are just empty platitudes, right? It's like these guys are never going to go say this is the worst coast, worst coast to play for because every day, every Sunday is an audition. Everything they say is something that's going to be held against them in the football court of law. And I always go back to Tim Dobbins. I think it's the best example. He refused to participate in OTA voluntary OTAs. Voluntary OTAs. He was the only Texan not to do it, and he was cut. Mm-hmm. And he's never been picked up since because there was an expectation by teams that you will show up, even if it's voluntary, and you're going to work your butt off, and you're going to become a Bob kind of player, and this goes for every team, and this is ha- what you're going to be. This is our expectation. Every once in a while, there might be somebody like, you know, Antonio Brown, he doesn't really follow the rules, but he's so good, you let him kind of slide with things, and boy, talk about sliding. Um, but there are there can be ex- exceptions to the rule, but I guarantee to you, if I if I'm a player for Bill O'Brien and I absolutely hate playing for him, the last thing I'm going to do as a player is going to go out and say to the press, he's miserable. He has no idea what he's going to do. He, he Fourth, why doesn't he have a play call for fourth and one?
0: Mm-hmm. You're not
1: going to do that because you want to go get paid.
0: Yeah. And again, like I've been thinking about this, you know, a lot, even uh, whenever I hear those statements and I'm like, I don't understand how you can enjoy playing for him. And then you kind of think about it. it's like every time I've been in a situation where, you know, I played any sort of sports, whatever. I always liked the coach, even even if like I I didn't know if he was particularly good or not. You know, uh, I had a coach who could barely even speak English; nobody had any idea what he was saying, and like couldn't really coach all that well. But you know, I liked him because he was enjoyable or whatever. And you spend that much time around somebody too, so I think that's a big part of that um, as well. And that seems to be like the only standing ground or like the only argument I think anybody can make for O'Brien at this point is that he's uh, the players like him and he's a player's coach and so like playing for him. But really like just about anybody likes playing for their coach, you know, I, I, it's like, be- it's like being nice. It's like when somebody's like, you're so nice. Yeah. Say, so, Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank you. It's the worst thing you can be. Yeah. The worst compliment you can have is being nice, you know?
1: Yeah. And what, I mean, again, what are you going to say? Like if you're, if you're just Watson, you're going to call your head coach incompetent. Like he doesn't play, he doesn't call the right place for me. Are you ever going to say that? You're yeah. never, ever, ever going to say that. I mean, if you're 12 years old, you're not going to say that because you know what? Coach can sit your butt down. Mm -hmm. So you don't say those sorts of things. You say the niceties. You learn it. This is just completely rote behavior to learn these things, not to say bad things about your coach. But I tell you what, there have been a couple of guys who have gone out and said bad things about Bill O'Brien, Dwayne Brown being one of them, saying, hey, this is not a cool guy to play for. So, you know, there there are exceptions to the Bill O'Brien rule about, you know, if they want to play for him we're not
0: mm-hmm. yeah or like the Seahawks like everybody loves playing for Pete Carroll and then they run an offense where Marshawn Lynch gets 13 carries in the most important game of the season and can't pick up a slot corner blitz and they lose uh so like yeah like even if you're even if you're a great coach who's won Super Bowls there's still blind spots that you have and I think just about everybody likes the coaches they play for typically I think even the Jaguars like playing for Marone and Marone's a worse version than O'Brien is you know, I mean
1: and, and the Jaguars are a great team to talk about because Tom Coughlin. Like he's literally the only coach I've heard multiple people say bad things about, and he—it's because he's so hypocritical. And so now he's gone; they got tired of his act. So, you know, you have to be Tom Coughlin extreme. You have to be—you know—the Tom Coughlin rule was: is if you're five minutes early to a meeting, you're five minutes too late. Yeah. I mean, he was that much of a stickler to the rules, but then he'd go out and he'd screw his players over when it came to other things that they followed. So it, it was his sort of extreme is what it took for him to get canned. You know, a guy like Bill O'Brien, you know, who's not that extreme, people are going to say nice things about him. Name me five players that have said bad things about their coaches. I mean, except for I need to get the ball more often type stuff. Name yeah. me five players over the past decade have said, this coach sucks.
0: Yeah, I really can't think of anybody at all. I mean, I know there's a lot of like, a lot of turmoil, I guess, in Cleveland last year with Kitchens and I don't think he was the type of guy who could come in as a 1st year coach and manage all his personalities. And I don't know. We'll probably never see him head coach again, but there's there's small examples like that around there. Um, so upperwood Texan wrote a really great post on the Texans that kind of summed up his feelings and how the season played out. And the primary thesis that he wrote was that it's simply that Cal McNair doesn't care at all because of how money he's making based off the team. And that's why O'Brien can do whatever he wants because as long as people still go, as long as people still are watching t- on the TV, as long as the league's making money, he doesn't really care if they win championships or not, or if the team is successful or not. Because as long as they're making money, he'll be okay. Um, do you agree with the with the UT statement on um, the article he wrote?
1: I thought it was beautiful. I, I don't. The the hashtag is Cal McNair does not care, and I don't think he does. I, they they make money. They're filling up the suites. and They're filling up the stadium. People are paying to park. People are paying to buy Andre Hopkins unis. They're they're paying for Deshaun Watson unis Cal McNair does not care until there is something that's actually done that impacts that family financially. He does not care. So I 100% agree with uh UT on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've still, I think it's, I know that's probably right. Um, but I'm still operating the fact that like, he's only on the team for a year now and we'll see. And they also, he also sent out that weird pamphlet after they lost to Carolina, like, do you care about how this team does? You know, yes or no, or never scale one to five. That weird, like, questionnaire they sent out, and that was really kind of bizarre, too. And it seemed like at that point when Houston's one two, things go really awry, uh, maybe he changes his mind, too. But I think it comes down to the fact that, as of right now, the way I see it, is that as long as they win 10 games, 11 games, make the playoffs, um, I, don't, I think they're just going to keep them around and kind of use that same thing, that patience mantra. Even going back to with Kubiak, too, it's going to take you know, six and 10 C's or something along those lines for it to change. And I, if something like next year happens again, too, I'll feel entirely different. And I'm mainly just operating from the fact that, you know, he's on the team for a year and this is his first time, like he's seen it. But uh, at the same time, too, you know, you see it sometimes where you have the kid comes in and he wants to make a big, bold decision right away and does the exact opposite. So I would need to see another year of it to feel really strongly one way or the other. I'm being a, you know, neutral milk hotel right now.
1: Yeah, so so it was kind of the sort. Of, yeah, you know, the, the questionnaire was super weird because you had to put your fingers in it and go.
0: Yeah, <laughs> does he like you pull me? up the
1: flap? Do you, do you still love me? Yeah, oh, sh-
0: blue. Yeah, that's okay. what
1: that was weird.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: because look at look at all you have to do is look at Cal McNair's history, like like his work history. He's worked for Dad. He's like the ultimate fail son, and I 100 percent agree with you T on that too. Like the dude's never done anything. He's on his own. He's always worked for for Dad. He got rich. He's rich because of dad. He got he he you know graduated like probably with a C and got an you know exec position because of dad kind of thing. Look, there's no reason to believe he knows what the hell he's doing, and if you think he's paying attention, and maybe you have some level of hope that he's going to do something about Bill O'Brien, but look, all he cares about them is the money, and and. You know, somebody said, Oh, but it's actually Janice McNair is the one who's making, you know, the kind of the football decisions at this point in time. Give me any McNair who cares about the team, who cares about the future of the team. I don't care. It could be the dog. Do something about the team if you actually care for it. If just making a lot of money and the the flags don't you don't really care about the flags, then then great. Then you're doing a great job. That was the one thing that Bud Adam Bud Adams wanted the flags. He wanted the money more than flags, but he actually cared about winning. And I don't think the McNair's do, mm-hmm. the remaining McNair's.
0: Well, and even then, I think the whole Janice arguments, I haven't heard that before, but I think that's very silly because she's like a 91-year-old woman, one. And then, two, like Cal's name's all over everything, too. And it seemed like that was always the succession in place was that it'd go from him to Cal whenever uh, he passed away, which happened, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever it was, too. So I don't know. I understand where UT's coming from. I understand completely where you're coming from. I just would like to see what happens maybe after one more year. Because you know it, it takes it, it takes some some gusto. You have to be the Tennessee Titans to fire your head coach after winning a playoff game. Only they will actually malarkey somebody. And so I, I think I need to see another year of it too. Before it'd be nice that we had the if you can be if we can use a you know Brian as a verb as well like malarkey sadly was and Mar- malarkey's made an enormous impacts on the Tennessee Titans even you know two years after he's been out there too.
1: Yeah, and what do the Titans do? God, I can't believe I said the name. They made it to the uh, championship game. We didn't. Yeah. They got a massive upgrade on the offense. They brought in some really good minds, Arthur Smith. And, well, he's, and all, he's always and, been
0: there, too. Arthur Smith's been there since like 08.
1: That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, and so he's like you coached don't have for Larson the...
0: and lunch hack, <laughs> And he's coached for Malar. He's coached for all these guys. And he's just been there learning what not to do from like 75 different people. Right. And then learning what right. to do from the very rare instances those have happened at the same time.
1: Right. So you got me. You're right.
0: Uh but yeah, I think I think the article is great from you too. If you haven't read it, you should go out and read it. It's there on the front page still somewhere. It's not too hard to find. Um and it was very good. So also and I don't even know if we're gonna have a chance to talk much about the conference championship games, so which is fine. But uh the next question, next thing here that came up internally was Die Hard Chris brought the conspiracy theory that Tom Brady could play football for the Houston Texans. Uh how sick did this make you? How upset these words were typed out and thrown out to the universe, and now there's a reality out there that exists where Deshaun Watson's backing up Tom Brady uh, in 2020, or Deshaun Watson's traded for first round picks for Bill for so Bill O'Brien can coach Tom Brady for three years or whatever. I can't hear you at all. You're on mute. You're sorry about that. It's all good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I I would just like to state that at this point in time, I'm not willing to answer that question um, because I cannot wait to write a post on this and I'm absolutely going to do it the next day or two. Uh, Do do I think that Bill O'Brien would absolutely be willing to sit Deshaun Watson so that he could play Tom Brady at quarterback? Absolutely. I think that would be an, the the truth is Bill O'Brien has been successful. During one two-year phase of his entire career as an offensive coordinator, as a head coach.
0: And I think he was the offense coordinator for one year in New England, too. It was yes. just that, and, and that, so that was with Hernandez and coach. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was a quarterback's coach and then as an uh, offensive coordinator. That's the only time he's ever been successful is when Tom Brady was a quarterback. That's the only way he knows how to run an offense. Yes, he absolutely would sit Deshaun Watson for Tom Brady.
0: Well, and I think even then too, I think he would have to trade Watson for like three first round picks, so that he can replete the capital, then bring in Brady, and then go all in on a Super Bowl or whatever, uh, which is an absolutely sickening thought. And the other thing I'm mentioning about Brian, about Brian too, it's that same idea. Also, like, well, look at the quarterbacks he had. Look, the Texans were a bad team in thirteen, rebuilt them. Well, they were an unlucky team in two thousand thirteen. He didn't rebuild the Texans in the year. And he didn't also, rebuild anything. also look at the quarterbacks he's had. They're all the same. They're either limited, talented, intelligent quarterbacks like Brian Hoyer, like Ryan Fitzpatrick, or they're big, tall, white, slow guys in the pocket who win from the pocket. And that's Ryan Mallett. That's name redacted. Um, that's Tom Savage. Those are O'Brien's quarterbacks. He helped pick all those guys. This doesn't like Rick Smith forced these guys upon him. And then Rick Smith you know, famously traded up for Watson in the 2017 NFL draft. And that seemed like a real Rick Smith move compared to, you know, everything else as well. So I don't know. I mean, I could, I I hate that it even came up. I hate the idea of it and I'm very upset, but uh, yeah, it's awful. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to read what you're going to write for it, even though I'm not really excited to read it at all. I'm glad that you're going to oh, do no. it, but I'm not excited to read it <laughs> at all whatsoever.
1: I, I just can't, I can't imagine a more perfect because Bill O'Brien has no idea what to do to do with deshaun watson i mean it's like watson is a is a you know ferrari ready to go speeding everywhere and you know and o'brien's got to come up with these like rpo concepts and oh my god why can't he just sit in the pocket and make throws and that's kind of what i see o'brien doing it's like i have to think in ways i've never thought before and i i can't do that and so we what we see is we see deshaun watson's being stuck in the pocket we we don't see him being rolled out. We don't see the naked bootlegs of even deal with Matt Schaub. Matt Schaub got like more rollouts than Deshaun well, Watson. Kirk
0: does. Cousins. I mean, Kirk Cousins does.
1: Kirk Cousins. I mean, these because and but Bill O'Brien can't think like that. He has no concept. He has no ability to adjust to a guy like Deshaun Watson. I could absolutely see it happening. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And it would be so stupid. And it would be so Bill O'Brien. And it would nobody would. And the front office would challenge it.
0: Well, and the weird thing about that, too, is they've had such situ- he's like had instances where the offense isn't like that, like that run in 2017, where they used jet swing motions really well and roll outs. So they used RPO or they use that zone read pretty well in 18. Uh, and then whenever the team falls behind, they open the offense up and the vertical passing offense leads the team instead of, you know, running the ball to the middle and establishing the run there's like instances and glimpses of whenever the offense works at its best, like the new Orleans game, I think that was the best offensive game they probably have ever had with O'Brien as the head coach. And you have these instances of it, but it never, it never sticks. You know, it keeps going back to that comfort zone. Uh, where like he, he strays too far away from home, you know, and has to run back to what he knows, which is your know, power run scheme and then throw the, you know, run, run past and establish the run and all that. And like, just pray you can score 24 points and, your best individual players in your defense makes that big plays too who wants who uh,
1: look i'm I'm a child of the 70s and 80s i was born in 1970 i turned 50 years old this year and, and when one of my first games that i got um was uh that i remember when i was like eight years old it was like you put up your they had it was cards, and you put up your offenses and your defenses, right? You stuck in, okay, I'm gonna play play three four and zone coverage. And I'm gonna do this route tree, with this card, and you put them together, right? And this is what's gonna happen in the play. That was the game, and so that was how it worked. And I swear, I studied every one of those dadgum cards, and I said, why am I going to run the ball? This is like 1979. Why am I gonna run the ball up to, up the middle when my like max gain is like three yards? when I can do this against this three, four defense playing zone and, and Bill O'Brien still thinks, Oh man, I gotta, I gotta run the ball up the middle. Every time I got to establish that run. I'm nine years old and I'm already like throwing the run out the, out the door. It, oh my God. It just frustrates me so much. <laughs> it just, I'm like, not, anyway, that's, that's how I learned how to call plays. And, and it's, and I wish Bill O'Brien would have had that set too, because maybe we'd have something a little bit better.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And again, like the weird thing to me, too, it's like it's just the dichotomy. There's glimpses of like what things could be like. So, oh, I'm outside the cave finally, and the snowstorm comes in, you have to huddle back into it. (laughs) And that's how it's been for, you know, the last two seasons or so. And it's also weird, too, like how much better the offense is when they play from behind at times. Like, I mean, the Kansas City game is a bad example, the loss to the Colts last year is a bad example, too. But there's times where like they fall behind, like the Jets game, the Eagles game, until it's in 18 or great examples, and they push the ball downfield and run a lot of play action, spread things out, and let like, Watson with mobility, and he he like he's like a, a worse version of Patrick Mahomes in those situations, and then the offense isn't built around that at all, and it doesn't make any sense, and like it's a, it's a sick offense, it's a weird offense, um I really hate watching it especially whenever like it falters as bad, like it just gets stuck, you know, and there's so many negative plays they can't get away from. And yeah, there's so many bad problems with it. Um, the last question we had here is from, at, is from Carlos Flores. And so he said, while we're on the topic of the coronavirus, because I posted for the Twitter <laughs> thing, I posted the, the ending of contagion. Have you ever seen contagion before.
1: I have not. But it's coronavirus. Is that the one that's coming out of yeah, Wuhan, China? It's the one that's happening right now. Oh, my God.
0: Contagion was one of the best movies I've seen in theaters, mainly because it was horrifying, and that's because there was somebody coughing the entire time. I was like, I'm going to go oh, down gosh. there, and I'm going to put my belt around their throat. I can't take this at all anymore. Just oh. somebody coughing during a movie about the plague. Uh, but I posted a screenshot from like, the very end of Contagion with Gwyneth Paltrow. And he said, while well, we're on the topic of coronavirus, Can we agree that Gwyneth Paltrow and her Goop minions are responsible here? So I guess apparently she has a company called Goop and they sell like fake pseudoscience treatments to people. I have no idea about any of this. But they have a a, a jade egg that's $66, anywhere around your neck, to increase your sexual energy and pleasure. And it also helps connect you to the second chakra of the heart and also the yoni for optimal self-love and being. And I think this is a much more ecological-friendly way then grounding up a rhinoceros horn and snorting it down your, your nose and rubbing on your gums like uh, this been a problem plague or stealing turtle eggs, you know, which happens throughout the world. So I don't think if she's the problem with that. This is a much more ecological, stable way to, to push witchcraft around.
1: Uh, look, I, I love this question, Carlos. I mean, this this one's for my heart. So, gracias um so so let me so and she also has a candle that smells like her vagina
0: there's not such thing as that
1: there that's it's just such a thing like who actually tests that like like somebody like smelling her and smelling the candle but yes it's it's absolutely a thing it's a candle that smells like her vagina wow so so as far as that goes Oh, wait, what was the question? <laughs> I don't even remember the question. Uh, he,
0: he's wow, so, he's saying that is she the reason for oh, right. the coronavirus and her goop minions?
1: You know what's going to be funny about the whole coronavirus? It's going to be just like the H one version viruses. It's going to be people doing weird thing with their weird things with their chickens. I bet you it's another jump for that. So that's my vote. But if you wanted to close second place. Then yes, it would be Gwyneth Paltrow.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, this candle sold out. They sold it out. It's a seventy-five dollar candle. that sold out.
1: I don't even. Oh, look, I, the the Asian Indians, they got it right, man. The chakra stuff. That that stuff's pretty true. You know, the, the, but it's touching. The other stuff is like toots cray cray.
0: This is disgusting. This is a disgusting thing. The box is also a bunch of bunch of <laughs> it's a bunch of flowers, which is pretty. Uh, they also have something <laughs> here called the tennis coach and you can only guess what, what that is. So the conference championship games, is there anything, <laughs> any big, any big points that you have before uh, we end this rodeo? We turn what I did oh. want to be a Houston Texans podcast into a Houston Texans podcast.
1: Oh, oh. yeah. And, in, in Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, call me baby. You know, you want to, um, I just want to say that I think it's the two best teams you know well it could have been either the the Ravens or the Chiefs that made it into the uh for the AFC. Sorry, but I think the 49ers have been the best team for the NFC um all all season. I mean Green Bay's had their moments, there've been a couple of other teams that had their moments, but I think San Francisco, I think Kyle Shanahan, I think Robert Saleh, I think that team's been well coached up and down all year. I, I want you to name me three guys that are more fun to watch than George Kittle. I mean the guy's a blast. I just loved like this pregame. Every pregame is like, hey, this national tight ends day. Like every game is national tight tight ends game when he watches uh when he's mic'd up. He's great. He's a, so much fun to watch. And he's the best he might be the best blocking tight end in the NFL. He's probably the best receiving tight end in the NFL. Um I think it's gonna be a great matchup, and uh I'm I'm genuinely excited for the Super Bowl. Like, genuinely, this is mm-hmm. going to be a great matchup. I cannot watch to see what that 49ers defensive line is going to do against the offensive line. I can't wait to see how Andy Reid's going to and Eric Bieniemy are going to game plan against that. Uh, and the one thing the 49ers secondary is not as fast. So, you know, Richard Sherman is not fast. It's going to be a really great game.
0: And it's also hard to play cover three against Kansas City. Because they just use Tyreek it. Hill to run in and outside of zones. They run deep corners that you know pull two safeties with him. And they run deep outs underneath it. They do a really good job attacking that zone defense. And a good example of that is what they did against the Chargers um, throughout this year is they did a really great job at attacking their cover three defense. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think these are the two best teams. I think the Packers are the worst 13-3 team I've ever seen. I think yeah. it's a bad matchup for them. Like their yep. offense built around throwing to their running backs, throwing to Adams, and throwing to their tight ends and the 49ers are great against that. I think a really good example is that screen that Kurt, uh, Fred Warner stopped and that other yeah. outpass uh, that great Dre Greenlaw stopped where they're, like, they're just great coverage linebackers that stopped the sort of plays. Um, they're really balanced. And like, they need Aaron Rodgers to be Russell Wilson, and he hasn't been as good as Russell Wilson since like you know 2015 or something. You know He's 34 or whatever. I don't think he's, he's, no, he's no longer elite at all, and that sort of thing too. Uh, the meme that will never die. But I do think these are the best two teams. I think, as much as I wanted to tie it up in the Super Bowl, I think the Super Bowl is a lot better without <laughs> the Titans in it. And, uh, and it was fun. The Titans' run was fun. It was also fun, too, to watch them give up 28 straight points after Houston gave up 41 straight points. And the entire time, it's like the Titans have to fire Ramiro Cornell now. They have to. You have to fire Romeo Cornell yep. for this performance. They so. have
1: to. Yeah, yeah, you have no choice. And my the other fun thing was the return of Tyler Scissorhands in the Green Bay game.
0: Yeah, he dropped that one.
1: Oof, that was pretty bad. The one
0: thing I one of the few things like about the Packers this year was they actually gave Irvin the ball well in the offense itself. Because like yes. every, whenever Houston had Irvin, it was like he was a good legitimate running back in San Jose State. Like he was a between yep. the tackles runners against Auburn, had a great game against them. I was like, why are we just using him here as a kick returner and stuff? Whenever. You want to give him give him the carries instead of Alfred Blue. And the Packers actually gave him a few shots here and there. And he did some things. Uh, but, yeah, him him, him watching that ball hit him in the face was uh, traumatic. It was like a reoccurring nightmare, you know?
1: Yeah, we've seen that. We've been there. Yeah. Sorry, Greenback.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, I do think, again, these are the two best teams. The Super Bowl is going to be a lot of fun. And even though the Texans are done, it doesn't mean football is bad. And, uh, and, like, I guess after the Super Bowl, I'll start writing about the Texans again, specifically, and new big season preview, or season review, and then write about, you know, free agents and stuff like that. I really like Eric Armstead and Bud Dupree right now. Those are my two guys.
1: Yeah. Armstead especially. I, Dupree is fine. Armstead, oh my gosh. I think yes, Dupree's please. had a,
0: a great year this year, though. Especially, he's, like, just gotten a lot stronger. and he, Like, you think a Dupree is running around offensive tackle and not doing anything, he doesn't do that at all anymore. He actually has power. He, I think, he had like fifty pressures this year, and he had double-digit sacks. And he's, and then also in their defense, Watt gets the right tackles. He goes up against the left tackles in the tougher matchup too. Watch some, watch them all twenty-two of them, and see what you think.
1: Will do, will do, yeah. Okay,
0: and that's kind of the hard thing. Also, it's like you have these guys who have had four, four like kind of crappy years out of nowhere. They have a spectacular year. It's like what is this an outlier? Is this am I paying for one year or is he just felt like God and it's just a development thing, you know?
1: D Ford says what?
0: Ford had a good <laughs> Ford was hurt, but he had a good year this year when he's healthy. He had a
1: great year when he's played, yeah, but it was the sa- sort of the same thing. You're you're paying for yeah. like one really productive season. And I guess so the Chiefs kind of the same thing
0: with Clark too. And Clark's been great now that he's healthy mm-hmm. again also. So I don't know. It's weird. It's not, I mean, I think also like with how great some of these young players have been. We kind of assume everybody would be really great right away. And I think we kind of lose the idea. It's like, yeah, it takes some guys a little bit more time. Some guys aren't patching at home. need more time to develop, you know? Yeah,
1: so. I still go back to James Casey. It was like James, when we drafted James Casey, he was going to be our long snapper, our tight end, our fullback, our third string quarterback. He was going to serve popcorn. It was ridiculous. It's like, can the guy like learn one position first?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, so, yeah, that's our show for tonight. I don't know if I'll talk to you next week, but I'll talk to you the week after for sure. We'll talk about the Super Bowl. And uh, unless some like big Texans news come in that they hire a general manager or I don't <laughs> know, or they trade for Tom Brady or they sign they trade for <laughs> Tom Brady or whatever.
1: We don't have to trade for Tom Brady. We just sign him. He's a free agent. We just sign him.
0: Yeah, maybe they tag Brady, though, and then force us to trade for him, which would be like the Texas oh. thing to have happen. But yeah, I'm sure something like that could happen as well. I don't know. I mean, they can always tag him, you know. I think. Yeah, I can tag him. Yeah. So, I don't okay. know. We'll have to wait and see everything that happens, and all that. But uh, in the meantime, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Valorant Radio. And thank you for being on time, BFD.
1: Yeah.